it's good to see you all here this morning. And today we are continuing our series called The the Names of God. Uh, I read a story about some men who were on board a ship and it ended up capsizing. And only four men were able to survive and they found a life raft. They were able to blow it up. They got onto the life raft. They were floating around the life raft. There's no supplies on the boat whatsoever. The only thing they had was a bucket and because they were in the ocean, salt water, you know, obviously they couldn't dip water out of that and drink it or dehydrate them. And so they used the bucket in order to collect rainwater, hoping that they could survive in that way. Well, after a period of time, it quit raining, and the men drifted for so many days that they actually ended up right near the Amazon River where it was pushing out fresh water. And so they were sitting in the midst of fresh water, but they didn't know it. And the only thing they had to do was to get their bucket, dip it into the fresh water, and they would have been able to survive. But because of a lack of knowledge, because they didn't know they were in fresh water, uh, the men ended up dying. Now, I thought about that story, and I thought that there are many of us who are in the same predicament as those men that were, that were in that boat. And we're in the same predicament, and then I believe there's a lot of us who are just simply thirsty in this life. You know, we're, we're thirsty for something to... To fulfill us. We're looking to have our thirst quenched. We look for, for, for fulfillment and for hope in a whole lot of different things. You know, we look for it in friendships. We look for it in, in, uh, in wealth. We look for it in status and all these different things. But then after a period of time, you know, the older you get, you begin to understand yeah, that stuff just doesn't satisfy. And it's almost like we're, we're dipping our bucket into a bunch of salt water and we're sipping on the salt water and we get dehydrated after a period of time and we start to wonder, is there anything in this life, you know, that can, that can fill me? Is there anything in this life that can satisfy the thirst that I have? Well, we're, we're going through the scripture and we're just looking at some of the different names that are used for God. And one of the names that's used for God that we're going to look at today is the name El Shaddai. And it's a Hebrew name, but that name literally means the mighty one who nourishes or the mighty one who satisfies. And it's my hope that whenever you leave here today, that you're going to leave here knowing that God is calling out to you, just simply saying, hey, dip your bucket in me. And if you do that, then I have the ability to quench the thirst that you've got in your life. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the name El Shaddai is used for the very first time with a man named Abraham, the time he's called Abram. And God did this in order to show Abram that, that he could give him nourishment, that he could satisfy him in his life. And I have no doubt that, that most people are really looking for some kind of fulfillment in life. I mean, the only thing you have to do is look at some of the most popular books that have been written over recent years. You know, there's Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, there's Tony Robbins, you know, the guy with, uh, he's got really big hands. Uh, he's a motivational speaker. He wrote this one book called Awaken the Giant Within. Uh, Dale Carnegie wrote How to what, Win Friends and, and Influence People. And then uh, Norman Vincent Peale wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. Now, all those books, there's good things that are written in those books. Let me tell you something. You're not going to find those books totally satisfying you because there's only one that can satisfy in your life. There's only one who can quench your thirst in life, and that's God. It's the God of Scripture. It is El Shaddai, the mighty one who can nourish, the mighty one who can satisfy. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to see this. And so you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. 
Again, it's a great book to find when you come to church because you don't, you don't feel like that you don't know anything about the Bible. Just go all the way to your left, first book in the Bible, and so you'll look really smart. You'll turn right there. So Genesis chapter 17, verse number 1. Uh, I'll give you a little background information here as you go there. Uh, what's going on here is that God, years before, had told Abraham, and this is before there's ever a Bible or anything like that. God told Abraham, he said, I want you to leave your homeland, which very well could have been you know, modern-day Iraq, and he said, I want you to move into the land of Canaan, which is, you know, Israel. He said, I want you to move there. If you move there, God said, it's with you and your wife, Sarah, I am going to make a great nation out of you. And that's pretty, and that's pretty neat. I mean, if God told you, you know, like, if he had told me and Emily, Eric and Emily, y'all moved to, you know, wherever, moved to Blightswood, and I'm going to, your entire family is going to become so, you're going to populate the entire state. I, would, I personally Emily wouldn't think it was cool, but I think, man, that's awesome. We're going to have like a ton of kids, and we're going to dominate. And so that's what's going on right here with Abraham and Sarah. Now, the interesting thing about this is that when God gave them this promise, Abraham and Sarah, just being honest, they're old. And they don't have any kids at this time. And God says, I'm going to give you all kids. Now, that's a strange promise. And after a while, Abraham began to wonder, is this even possible? And he began to have some doubts about the promises of God. And so it's here in Genesis 17 that we see the very first time God uses a name for himself called El Shaddai. And it means the mighty one who nourishes us. And what we're going to see is that, that God is a God who is sufficient for his people. Now how does God's sufficiency, how did it bear itself out in the life of Abraham and Sarah? And how does it bear itself out in our lives? How does God's sufficiency bear itself out for me and for you? We're going to see some very simple ways. And the very first thing I want you to see is God's sufficiency bears itself out in your life in this very simple way. It starts off, first of all, in that He is enough. God is enough. Now, look with me in chapter 17, verse number 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old. Do you all remember this? They have no kids God's given in this promise. You're going to be a daddy. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be devout. Now, God's given him this promise that I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your wife. But the promise becomes very big when you understand that Abraham and Sarah, for about, you know, like 50 years, they are card-carrying members of AARP. And God's telling them, you're going to have kids. And so the issue that Abram has at this point is, am I going to believe God? Am I going to trust that what God says is true? And from a human perspective, I totally understand Abram and Sarah having some doubts about this promise that God gave them. Because this is one of these really miraculous you know, promises that God gives. Now, Abram, he, he's a man of faith. Remember, this, it's, been, it's probably been over, it's been about 25 years since God said, I want you to move from your homeland and go to Canaan. And what did, what did Abram do? He did it. Again, they, they didn't have a Bible. It's not like he was able to read about the earlier promises of God. They didn't have a Bible back then. He just hears God speak to him. And he gets up and he moves. But then after a period of time, he begins to have doubts about the other part of that promise and that he's going to have a child. And he begins to doubt God. And he's like, God, is this, is this something that is true? And so Abraham and Sarah come to the point where they thought, you know what, God, God needs some help. 
Um, you know, this promise he's given us, it seems a little, it seems like he gave us a promise that's a little too big for him. And so we're going to help him out a little bit here. And so Sarah comes, and y'all might remember the story in this earlier chapters. Sarah comes to Abram, and she says, listen, there's obviously, I'm kind of old, and there's no way I'm going to be able to have a kid. Why don't you take my maidservant, and y'all have a, a child together? And that way we will be able to have a, we, we can raise him as our son. Now, Abram is it doesn't he's like 80 something years old when she comes to him. This is just another picture of a guy right here. She gives him this thing, "Hey, go sleep with my maid." And he says, "Well, because it's, you know, it's your suggestion, I'll go ahead and do it." Uh guys, if that ever happens to you, don't do not if for one it's a trap, but number two, it ain't good. And so Abram because, you know, he's a man of faith. You know, he's like, "All right, her name's Hagar, too. I mean, how, I mean, how good of looking of a woman can she be? Uh, anyway, this is nothing to do with Scripture. I thought it was maybe Hagar. Uh, so anyway, so he goes to this lady, and they, they do what they should have never done, and, but they end up having a kid. So it's looking like, hey, maybe this works. And they have this boy, and they name him Ishmael. And then God shows up again. And God shows up and says, this is not what I was talking about. God said, I said, between you and Sarah. And this is where, back in verse number one, God uses his name for the first, for the first time, El Shaddai. The mighty one who nourishes. He says in verse one, I am God Almighty. In other words, what he's telling Abraham, it's like, you guys screwed up. And I just want you to understand, when you don't trust me, you make a mess of everything. He says, I've given you this name because I want you to understand, I don't need your help. He says, I am God, and I am enough. That's a question we have to consider today for our own lives. Do we really believe that God is enough? I mean, do you believe that in your own life? Do you believe in your own life God is enough? Unfortunately, a lot of us come to the conclusion, like Abraham and Sarah did, that he's not. We come to the conclusion that God needs a little bit of help. And so we take matters into our own hands. And when we do that, y'all, we make a mess of stuff. Abraham and Sarah, they took matters into their own hands, and they made a mess. Ishmael was born. Do you understand we still see the consequences of that, that relationship today? You know the whole conflict in the Middle East that's going on between, between Muslims and Jews? You know where that, one of the places that started? It's right here. They did not trust God, and out of Ishmael came a division between the people of God and a people that God never intended because of Abraham and Hagar. Now, in our own lives, whenever we balk at the promises of God and we try to handle things ourselves, we make a mess. That's why I think we see today people, they're disillusioned. We see depression. We see people who are hurting, who are dissatisfied in life. And the entire time God is saying, I am El Shaddai. I am enough for you. Back in verse number 1, God told Abram, he said, live in my presence and be devout. There's two interesting things there. What, what does it mean to live in God's presence? To live in God's presence means that you're going to trust God Regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of whether things are going well or good in your life right now, or if they're going bad, you just come to a point and say, hey, this is circumstantial stuff, and you know what? I'm just going to trust God. 
I'm going to trust God is true to his word. I'm going to trust that God is enough for me. Even though there's a lot of junk going on in my life. Now, why, why would we want to do that? I mean, you look at Abram, 25 years, he's waiting for a kid and it hasn't happened. He starts to wonder, God, did he make a promise he can't keep? You know, is, is this a promise that God made that, that's just way too big for God? No, it's not what happened. But some of us have the same thoughts. We wonder, does God even know who I am? I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening to me. Did God forget about me? Has God made promises that he can't keep with me? Now, here's the good news. Y'all, the good news, regardless of what you're facing, when God makes a promise, I want you to understand God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. Isaiah 48 is one of my favorite verses. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. What God says comes true. And whenever you anchor yourself in the promises of God, when the, when the storms of life are blowing against you, and even when it's not going well for you, you can stand firm and steady because God's word and promises always stand. God follows this up. He tells him, he says, I want you to walk in my presence. And then he says, I want you to be devout. And we have a lot of different ideas about what devout means to be a devout Christian. It's interesting that word devout, it literally means to be complete. And so God says, you follow me, you trust me, you hang on to my promises, and God says, and I will make you complete. Now, are you thirsty? I mean, you're thirsty for life, thirsty in life? God says, trust me, and God says, I will satisfy you. Isn't that neat? As we, we, look to be, we look to have our thirst filled in so many different ways. And God says, if you want to be completed, you trust in me. You follow me. Now, sometimes we feel alone and abandoned. We feel like God has forgotten all about us. And Jesus says, you follow me, and I will give you a sense of completeness. Why? Because God says, I'm enough. I'm all that you need. Now, one of my favorite stories uh, that one of these preacher stories that you hear that I like a lot is there is a, a man on the street who's begging. As he's begging, there's a lawyer that was wealthy, happened to walk by, and he saw the beggar, and he's like, man, that guy looks familiar. So he walks over to him, he goes, hey, listen, I, you look so familiar, do I know you? And the guy looked at him, and he said, you know, I think we went to school together. And he looked, he goes, that's right, is your name, is your name Sam? He's, yeah. And so they start there talking. They talked for a while, and the, the lawyer took out his check and said, I tell you what, I'm going to write you this check. He said, I want you to cash it, and I want you to make a new start for your life. And man, the guy welled up in tears. The lawyer walked off, and as he looked at the check, he thought, there's no way a bank's going to believe that this check is real. And so he, he just said, I mean, he, he just, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this in my pocket. Forget about it. He continued to beg. A few days later, the lawyer saw him again. He's still begging. The lawyer gets ticked off. He walks over to him, and he says, did you already blow all the money? And he said, no. Nah, and he told him the story. He said, I don't think anybody's going to cash this check. I mean, I mean, look at me. And the lawyer said this. He said, you know what? He said, that check is not good because of you. He said, that check is good because my name's on it. He said, you just go to the bank and you, you cash it. And they'll take it because they know it's for me. Y'all, that's God. You know, so many times we, we look at ourselves, we think, man, there's no way God can do anything with me. There's no way that, that my life can change and be different. But God has written us a check, and he signed it, and he's waiting for us to apply it to our lives. 
Not because of who we are, because of who he is. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you're tired and weary in this life, God says, I can give you rest. Why? Because God says, I am enough. I'm all you need. Now, how does God's sufficiency bear itself out in our life? He's enough. But it also bears itself out in our life in this way. He's also personal. God's personal. If you look at verse number 2, God says, I'll establish my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell to the ground, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. People carry with them a lot of different perceptions about God. Uh, there are some people we picture God as, and I've told you all this before, we picture God as like he's the policeman, and he's carrying a billy club, and he's waiting for you to mess up so he can beat you in the head, and he just can't wait to do it. And there's some of us, we, that's how we view God. Other people view God as the grandfather guy, he's got the long flowing white beard, and, and he doesn't care how you live, what you do, he's going to give you a lollipop every time. He's going to hug you, and ah, buddy, don't worry about it, you know, I'm God and I love you. And there's other people who view God, and he, he, he's a God who he doesn't really know us because there's a lot of people here. I mean, other, y'all, y'all, y'all realize we have over 7 billion people on our planet. And some people look at God and say, how in the world could God know everybody? And you know, it's like God's overwhelmed with how many people are here. He's like, man, I'd love to help you out, but I can't keep track of all you guys. There's just lots of you. Now, there's a lot of different opinions about who God is. But you don't want to base your life off of, off of opinions, Right? You want to base your life off of truth. Now, what is the truth that we have? We have the truth of Scripture. There's a lot of, lot of different things I can talk to you about, about how we know that the, the Scripture is trustworthy. What, what does the truth of Scripture have to say about our God? Well, over and over again, I see that it tells us that our God is a personal God. Abraham, is, he's doubting the promises of God at this point. So what does God do? It's... Bible says God talked to Abraham. He spoke with them. What did he tell him? He said, Abraham, said, it's through you. I'm going to make a great nation. It's through you that there's all this land that you see, Abraham, it is yours. It's going to be your people's land. He reminded him of the promise. He was so personal that he changed Abram's name. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. You know, what's the significance of that? Now, I think it's kind of ironic. The name Abram, yeah, I didn't know this. The name Abram means exalted father, which is ironic because he can't have kids. And so he had to think, well, this is strange. Why did God give me the same? God, you know what God does? God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means the father of many nations. Now, Abram's got to be thinking, I can't even have one kid, and now God's telling me that my name is the father of many nations? Here's what's really neat about this to me. When God looked at Abram, he didn't see Abram for who he was. He saw Abram for who he could be through him. He said, Abram, you're not the father of anybody, but I want you to know that through me, you're going to be the father of many nations. Let me tell you something else. With God, you're not just another number. God is a personal God. He's not overwhelmed by how many people there are. He is creator God. 
God knows your life in detail because he made you. Jesus was trying to get this point across when he said in Luke 12, verses 6 and 7, he said, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows. Now, in some ways, it, it's sort of scary to me to know that God knows me that, in that much detail. You know, that God knows me intimately, and here's why. One of the reasons why is because there's some stuff in my life in the past and sometimes in the, in the present I'm not real proud of. And God knows that stuff in detail. But here's the good point. When God looks at me, and when God looks at you, he doesn't see you for who you are. He sees you for who you can be through him. Who can you be through God? He can be everything. When God places his, his paintbrush on you, and you're his canvas, what do you think the artist God can do? You realize God is an incredible artist? I mean, just look around at creation. It's unbelievable, the stuff that we have out there. What can God do in your life? There's a famous painter named James, James Whistler. He, his famous painting is Whistler's Mother. Isn't that right, Emily? Yes. Emily likes it whenever I, I talk to her, kind of chat. Isn't that right, Emily? She's, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to go home, and she's like not going to cook for me. Uh, yeah, so James, uh, James Whistler is a famous painter. I think he just died recently. Um, is that right, Emily? <laughs> I, think he just, I think he just died recently. But uh, anyway, he was a, a famous painter, but he was known for uh, being rather confident in his painting abilities. And he had ordered a bunch of canvases. They got lost in the mail, and he was ticked off. And he's kind of knocking stuff around, you know, angry. And one of his assistants came up to him and said, I, what happened? He said, they lost my canvases. And he said, well, are the canvases, are they worth a lot? And he looked over at the man and he said, not yet. Now, that's a guy who's confident. You know, he knew that they weren't worth anything yet until he painted them. You know, same thing's true with God. And not that God's arrogant, but that, that God sees us as a canvas. And he knows that whenever he puts his signature on us, that we're worth more with him having touched our lives than him not having touched our lives. Now, whenever I look at, at God, I see, man, his sufficiency bears itself out in our lives. How? He is enough. It bears itself out in our lives that he is personal. And the last thing I want you to see, that God's sufficiency bears itself out in our lives, and this was a very important one, he is faithful. Our God is a faithful God. Last three verses I'll read you, verses 6 through 8. This is what God said. He said, I'll make you extremely fruitful and will make, make nations and kings come from you. I'll keep my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your offspring after you, I will give the land where you're residing, all the land of Canaan, as an eternal possession. And he says, and I will be their God. Now, when God told Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, this isn't like a flippant remark that God's making. You know, he's not just, uh, he's not just blowing smoke here. So I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And it's such an important thing. He said he's going to make a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant is, I'm going, I am covenanting with you that you are going to be a nation, that your wife's going to have a kid. And I know you're old, but I'm going to perform a miracle. And there's going to be a great nation out of you. And this is a hard thing for us to grasp. 
Because we see so many promises broken. You know, God made a promise. You know, hey, maybe I'll break it. You know, 50% of marriages, we all know this, they, they end in divorce, broken promises. Uh, contracts are always broken. They end. I, I, uh, last month, you know, what Peyton Manning, 14 years with the Indianapolis Colts. Major surgery, the team decides we're, gonna, we're not going to we're not going to pursue him in a new contract. Why? Major surgery, we need somebody new, somebody's going to come in and take his place. And there's some of us, and we, we look at that and we think, what if God does that with me? You know, what if God looks at me and says, I'm so tired of messing with Eric. You know, he's getting older now. Um, he keeps screwing up. I'm going to... I am releasing you from the contract, and I'm getting somebody new. And some of us think, man, God's going to dump me. Now, God would do that, and I'm, not, I'm talking about myself. He would do it with you too. And he would do it with you too if he made a contract with you. But God did not make a contract with you. God says he makes a covenant with us. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, it's all pursuant on you living up to your end of the bargain. If you don't live up to your end of the bargain, then I can get out of that contract. In a covenant, it's different. In a covenant, what God does is he says, I am going to fulfill my end of the bargain regardless of what you do. Why? It's because it's not based on your performance. It's based on who I am as God. What did God tell Abraham? He said, I will be faithful from generation to generation. What does that mean? It means that God promises through thick and thin that he's going to stand with his people. He made a covenant. It means that God, through thick and thin, is he is always going to love us. He's going to nourish us. He will satisfy us. El Shaddai, again, that name, it means the mighty one who nourishes us. Now, Abraham was a man who was fearful God wasn't going to be enough. He messed some things up. You know, he went out on his own. We're going to try to help God out here. And God had to remind him, Abraham, you don't need anything else in your life. All you need is me because I'm sufficient for you. And today I want you and I want me and I want our church to know God's enough. God nourishes. We don't need anything else. We just simply need how does his sufficiency play out in our lives? He's enough. He's personal. And he's faithful.